Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure they don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning Joshua said to the priests, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you, just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive you out of the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look at the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord and the whole earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp and crossed the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town, at a town called Adam, which is near Zerathan. And the water below the point that flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on the dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry, dry ground. There we go. Made it. Okay. Father, may we learn to walk with you more closely this morning. And may you go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone have a seat. Good morning and welcome. So that scripture that Max was sharing with you is Joshua chapter 3. And I have to confess that until I, I've read Joshua chapter 3 many times, but I never studied it. And until I studied it, I always kind of thought of Joshua chapter 3 as sort of a throwaway miracle, as sort of a kind of a lesser reflection of a really cool miracle when they crossed the sea uh, leaving Egypt. You know, when the Israelites crossed the sea leaving Egypt, the water stood up dramatically on a wall on either side of them and they ran down the middle because the Egyptians were chasing them and then the Egyptian army went ahead and tried to chase them through it. Then the water collapsed and drowned them all. I mean, that's spectacular. By contrast, you know, 40 years later to finally shuffle up to the banks of the Jordan River. And really even river, I mean, that's a pretty glorified name. If that was in Missouri, we would not call that a river. We'd call that Jordan Creek. Like, this is what it looks like. We have a picture of what it looks like, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean that's what they're crossing. And, and it doesn't stand up in a dramatic wall. It says, you know, that it piled up a great distance away. They can't even see it happening. And they just know that the water kind of ran down, flowed off to the Dead Sea. So they, they walk across it. No one's chasing them. So I just kind of thought it was like a dim reflection of the, of the Red Sea crossing. Until I studied it. Until I studied it. And then I found out differently. So I have a very different story than that. To, to share with you this morning. So when they get ready to cross the Jordan River, 
um, the first thing God says is, I'm going to go ahead of you symbolically. I want you to carry the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priest ahead of you and stay a mile behind it. So the Ark of the Covenant, you're like, is that the thing from Indiana Jones? It absolutely is the thing from Indiana Jones. It actually even looked like that. So it's a gold box about this big, and it had a gold lid with gold angels with the wings covering their faces pointed toward each other, just, just like the movie. It did not ever melt any Nazis that I'm aware of, but it's a real thing. And it represented you know, God's promise. It represented God's forgiveness. It represented God's throne. So the Israelites would never build something out of gold and say, that's God. That's not what they do. But they did say it's symbolic that our God touches down. Our God is among us. Sometimes they would even call it God's footstool. Okay, so it's like the place where you can meet with God. And it had these gold uh, rings on the side that you could put poles through. And then you put the poles on your shoulders and carry it because it's, it's priceless and it's super holy, sacred thing. And you, you're not supposed to be touching it and stuff. So the priest would carry it on their shoulders and walk around with it. So God says, I'm going to go before you into this promised land. Uh, as Max read, you've never been here before. Stay behind this. Stay a mile behind this, it said. So... That's a pretty good distance up there. It's very flat in this area where they're going to cross the Jordan headed toward Jericho. So they could still see it a mile away, but, you know, it's pretty small up there. And, and that's uh, how it begins. Now, um, the, uh, he also gives them this order. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So purify yourselves. If you're following along on your own Bible there, your translation may say consecrate yourselves. This is all the same word, purify yourselves, consecrate yourselves, make yourselves holy. Now we sometimes think of holy as like, you know, morally virtuous. That's just a piece of holiness. Holiness really means make yourselves different, make yourselves set apart, make yourselves more like God. So this comes up a lot in the Bible, and I don't want you to be confused by it when you see them purify yourself or consecrate yourself. So here's what they would probably be doing that night before the crossing. They would first probably have all done a ritual bath, like where they splash water. And it's a little bit similar to baptism in that it represents the washing or purifying from sin. There might have been some sacrifices offered, maybe not, but maybe for forgiveness and, and thanksgiving to God. And then they would abstain that day from three things. They would abstain from sex. They would abstain from preparing bodies for burial and things that have to do with death. And they would abstain from sin. Now, this is the stuff that can be the most confusing. So I, I don't want you to be confused when you see these practices happening in the Bible. So why are they abstaining from sex to purify themselves? It's not that sex is dirty or evil or anything like that. God created sex and they knew that. But here's something else the Hebrew people knew. God doesn't have sex. God does not participate in it. God does not reproduce. He's different than we are. So on this day, when we're trying to get ourselves into the headspace of God, trying to think like him, live like him, be like him as much as we can, let's take this thing that, let's be honest, we, we think and fuss over quite a lot, and let's put it aside for one day and just put it aside for one day and consecrate ourselves. Um, so why would they... Um, abstain from preparing bodies for burial and stuff like that. It's not that death is evil or death gives you a disease or anything like that. It's just they knew this. God doesn't die. God can't die. 
And so on this day when we're trying to move close to this place where God is because he's going to do this miracle, we don't even know what it is yet. Let's take things that have to do with death, which have nothing to do with our God, and put those aside for a day. You're like, gosh, you can't get ready for grandma's funeral? And they're like, don't worry, she'll still be dead in the morning. Um, and so that was a little dark. Um, but but just, let's just, just put that to the side for the day and get into this God space. Um, now, um, abstaining from sin is easy for us to understand. Although, you know, you're, you're supposed to kind of do that all year long, right? Not, but on these days, they would say, seriously, everyone, extra effort, no sin today, okay? Just try really, really hard. And so that was what it meant to purify and to consecrate ourselves in order to be, you know, as close to God as you can so you're, you're aware and your eyes and ears are open to see whatever it is he's about to do. So the next day, they get up, the priests put the ark on their shoulders, they march off, you know, they're pretty small up there, they're a mile ahead, then the army start, and then they get an additional instruction. I don't know about you, but I do not like instructions while I am en route. Oh, by the way, we're going to go here on our trip. Oh, I don't like that. So, but they're getting instructions on the way. And one of the instructions that they get is, when the priests get to the river, have them go ahead and wade in a few steps and then wait. Okay, here's what makes that a little bit shocking. It says, it was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. So God has picked this time of year when the Jordan is at flood stage. So they're not wading out into a muddy creek with their priceless holy artifact. They're wading out into this. This is what the Jordan looks like. Um, well, I was hoping for a closer up picture. There it is. All right. This is what the Jordan looks like when it's at flood stage. So they're being asked to wade into this sort of a situation. Have you ever had a day like this? When you're, you're trying to move towards something that's good, you believe God has called you to it, and then I'll be darned if there isn't a big obstacle right in your way, if there isn't a flooding river, so to speak, blocking the way. Why does it have to be like that? I remember sitting behind uh, the college when I was in college, sitting behind the college, eating my lunch with a friend, and we were talking about dating, as you often do in college, and I said, you know, I haven't had a date in three years, and it's my senior year, and there's like no prospects. Like this, this whole season of life may pass without this. She said, what's going on? Have you not been, you've not been putting yourself out there? I said, oh, I have, just, you know, nobody's interested, and she said, are you so sure? What about Ashley Woody back in the science lab? I said, okay, Ashley Woody is fantastic, no question, but I know who she is, I know who I am. She is way out of my league. And my friend says, are you so sure? And I could tell by the look on her face that those two had had a talk. And so I threw my sandwich in the trash and I'm brushing the crumbs off and I get up, she's like, what are you doing? I go, I'm gonna go in and ask Ashley Woody out. She goes, right now? I said, I don't have any time to waste, this is it. So, so I head back into the science lab and there's Ashley talking to a friend and I'm crossing the room. And when I get close enough to hear what her and her friend are talking about, I hear Ashley say, and that's why all men are jerks. <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> like, this may not be the best time. And suddenly a flooding river has appeared. That's how it goes. So... Notice in this story, though, when the Israelites are trying to follow God, they don't actually have to cross a flooding river. God says, I'm going to go ahead of you. 
I'm going to go first. You stay a mile behind me. You get your feet a little wet, and then I'm going to make it so you can cross over. So, so that's a little bit different. Now, it's right then that some weird level of detail comes into the story. Right when they get their feet wet, a weird level of detail comes into the story. Watch this. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the river was dry. So why is it not just standing up in two walls like when they left Egypt? Why is this all happening a great distance away? Why do we get the name of the exact town where the water is piling up? Um, so here is your geography moment. For all you geography nerds, you came on the right day. And this is really cool. I see you rubbing your hands together. <laughs> so the, the town of Adam, we would say Adam, but they would say Adam. The town of Adam, ancient town, is now the modern day town of Zamnia, or Zamia in Jordan. And it is 18 miles away from this point where they crossed the Jordan River. And even today in Zamia, the banks of the Jordan are high and steep and muddy. And on July 11th, 1927, there was an earthquake near Zamia and the banks of the river right there fell in and dammed the entire river. And the Jordan ran dry from Zamia all the way to the Dead Sea and stayed that way for two days in 1927. Four additional times in modern history, when the Jordan is at flood stage and the water is rushing against the banks, the water has eroded and undercut the banks there at Zamia or Adam, such that they became unstable and fell in and a mudslide dammed the uh, Jordan River for several hours to two days each time this happened until the water piled up in a heap, as it says, and was able to break through that mud and then restore its course to the Dead Sea. And so, while we think God has picked a horrible time to cross the Jordan River when it's at flood stage, he's actually picked the only time that this could happen. When he said, wait till three days and stay a mile behind me and, and then step your feet in and wait, he's choosing the exact moment that he knows he's going to trigger a mudslide 18 miles away, which will become the very vehicle by which they're able to cross in to the promised land. And so from this story, we're going to learn a few things about how to follow God. And the first thing is, is that God picks the promised land that he wants to send us to and that he wants to give us. And God says, uh, he picks the time. He picks the day, the route we will take. And he knows the mudslide he's going to trigger to make it all possible. And all we have to do is purify yourselves. Get as close to God as you can. Get up and follow him. Be ready for instructions along the way. Step in and get your feet wet. And wait and see what God will do. The book of Proverbs has been teaching this, this for a long time. I love Proverbs. All these little fortune cookie kind of sayings, but... Proverbs 20, 24 says, The Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? You don't have to know the whole plan up front. The Lord directs our steps. Back in uh, Proverbs 16, 9, it says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. 
So I don't know what you're trying to move toward or what you feel God may be calling you to this morning. I certainly don't know what obstacles may have cropped up in front of you. I don't know what raging river you're facing. And yet, and yet today you're going to hear something about how to follow God in the place where you are that is just for you. And it doesn't come from me because I don't know what you're doing, but it comes from the story of what God has done. And God has orchestrated it such that you're watching this online or you're here in the sanctuary on just this morning when you're at probably the height of your confusion and wondering why it has to be this way to hear this word. This is how he works. He sets things in motion and times everything such that it all happens just as he is directing your steps and just as he is directing my steps. And he's saying, purify yourselves. Get close to me. And, and get up. I'm going to give you some instructions on the way. You don't know everything about where we're going yet. But when you get there, wait in. Get your feet wet. And then wait. Wait for me. I mean, I remember that day sitting behind the college. And, you know, my friend says, what about Ashley Whitty in the science lab? And I'm like, you know, I get up and I march in there. And I'm going to ask her out. Right when I get ready to ask her out, she says, that's why all men are jerks. So I had this choice right at this moment. And maybe out of desperation, I just waited a couple steps and I said, does that mean you wouldn't go out with me on Friday? And she kind of laughed and she said, no, it doesn't mean that. She, she said, but I, I have a volleyball game on Friday. What about Saturday? I said, what about seven? So, and two years later, we were married. And on Thursday, that was 26 years ago. Yes. Well, I always wonder, like, what, what, would have, what would have happened if I'd seen that flooding river and went, ooh, this is not a good time. And if I hadn't waited in a step or two and just see if God will make a way. I'm glad I don't have to know. I'm glad I don't have to know. Um, can I tell you about a time, though, I got it wrong? <laughs> can I tell you about a time I did not do this? So just so you can see, like, how that works. So when I uh, was decided I wanted to go to seminary to become a pastor, my plan was to go to school during the day, do my homework at night, work at UPS on the overnight shift, and then sleep. I actually hadn't figured that into the plan yet. Um, no, actually, I was just going to take a small number of classes and spread this whole thing out over six years. Until 10 families from the church came forward, one, two at a time, and they said, we would like to offer your family financial support while you're going to school so you don't have to do that UPS overnight thing. I was really humbled and really touched. And I thought, if these people are going to help us in this way, I do not want to drag this on forever. So let's go to school full time. Let's do it in three years and then, you know, not, not sponge off everybody for so long. And so, so that's what we did. Now, I didn't want to just take. I also wanted to, you know, have some skin in the game, do some work, have a work ethic, provide also. So I was going to need a job. I was going to need an extremely part-time job where the schedule could change every five months with the school schedule. And in order to finish in three years, this, this seminary had weekend and, no, not weekend, two-week intensives where you went to school from morning till bedtime for two weeks, three times a year. So I was going to need a job where it was really part-time and I could change my schedule every five months and I got six weeks of vacation a year. 
right. So you're laughing. I was laughing too. And I, I, I thought maybe it'd be better if I just started my own little cottage business. So um, what had got me through my undergrad was that I was a guest speaker at schools and Boy Scout groups for reptiles and amphibians. So remember, I was a biologist before I was in ministry. So I thought, I'll do that again. So I went to a couple of parks and rec departments, and I said, I will teach a class called Reptile Adventures for 8 to 12-year-olds. And they're like, that sounds fantastic. The only catch was I had no reptiles. So I was going to need to build cages for reptiles and amphibians, and they have to be escape-proof, or your reptile collection does not last very long. So I needed wood and plexiglass and fasteners, all these expensive materials. So I'm going to have to put some money into this business, and then teach classes till I pay for that, and then it'll start providing for the family. And so, um, so I went to Home Depot, and here's where the story really starts. I distinctly remember the day I stepped out of the car in front of the Home Depot, and as soon as I looked up at the building, this will not make any sense, but this is... I felt a sensation like leaves falling on my head and shoulders, but like invisible leaves, and they were words, and they said, uh, you don't have to do this. And I thought, do I just have cold feet because I don't want to start a business and I don't want to start school at the same time? Um, what does this mean? Of course I have to do this. I can't just take from people and I have to provide and I have to have work ethic and I have to have skin in the game and, and I'm just worried about all these changes in life all at once. So I just totally pushed that aside. What I should have done is I should have just stopped right there and went home and prayed some more. Like, Lord, what do you mean you don't have to do this? Do you mean you don't have to do this exact thing? Do you not, is this not the day? Do you have something else for me? I should have just prayed more and got some clarity, but I didn't, everyone. I just, I just right there in that moment decided, oh, I'm just scared. And I pushed that completely aside. I went in the Home Depot and I bought hundreds of dollars in wood and plexiglass and fasteners. And then I stayed up all night, most days for a week to build all these cages. And then Chris Lee filled my cages with reptiles and amphibians because he's really good at catching them. So in the spring, if you have a snake in your yard and you don't know what it is, Roll your camera zoom way up, because I know you don't want to get close, but take him a good picture and text it to Chris, and he'll tell you what that snake is in just a minute or so. Now, do this before you hit it with your weed whacker. <laughs> it's easier for him to identify it if it's not in pieces, and it hurts his heart less to tell you you've just killed an endangered species. So um, that's just a little side service that the church offers to you. So, so... Um, so I got my reptile cages and Parks and Rec would advertise this in the schools. And I would sometimes have five classes a week of eight to 12 year olds learning about reptiles and amphibians. It was fantastic. Sometimes though, Parks and Rec would forget to advertise my class for a season and I would have no students at all. So it was either feast or famine. And after two years, I was pretty sure I was feeding these animals more than I was getting back for my family. And so I turned the animals back to the wild and I sold the cages on Craigslist. Now I had kept a business ledger from the time I went to the Home Depot to buy the first thing of plywood, all the animal food, all the money I made for teaching, all the way down to selling the cages on Craigslist. Guess how much this business made after two years? $21. $21. But my family was fine. So God was right. You don't have to do this. Now, I always wonder... What did he have instead? What did he have for me instead to do at that time that I was cleaning animal poop and, and uh, building cages all night and teaching all these classes and hauling this around? What, what did he have? What was his plan? 
See, I'll never get to know that because I just pushed that right to the side because I was so sure that I knew the way to go. I did not let him go ahead. I did not get my feet a little wet and then wait on him. So it turned out okay because he's a really nice God. But I, I think there was something there that I missed for a couple of years because I just pushed past him. So when the Israelites left Egypt, they crossed the sea and they went from being slaves on one side to free nomads on the other. And then when they cross the Jordan River, they go from being nomads on one side to people who have a land and a nation and a home of their own on the other. So what I want to ask you is if you can cross your Jordan, what will you go from being into being? What are you about to become if you can just get through this obstacle? I bet it's awesome. So why does God put a flooding river between you and that? What you're going for is probably so incredible. Why would he put this obstacle between you and where you're trying to go? Possibly where he's called you to go. And here's the answer. It's two things. First, the river is there so that God will receive the glory. This is how our God is. He wants us to know You didn't take the promised land. I gave you the promised land. You didn't fight across the raging river. I made a way for you to cross the river. Now, he doesn't do this because he's a glory hound who wants to take credit for everything that happens in our life. He does this so that we won't think that we had to do all these things. And when we come to the next river, we'll think, well, now I'm too tired. Now I'm too old. Now I'm too broke. Now I don't have the friends and connections I used to. Now I can't. He wants us at the next river to go, you know, I didn't do the last one either. And so God's going to help me cross this one too. When you give glory to God, he wants that so that it takes the weight off of us to believe you have to do all these things and you have to take care of yourself. He, he gives the glory so we begin to build up this bank of stories that says he has always carried me. He is always part of the river. He has always given me the promised land. The obstacles um, were always there and he was always there. And it takes a tremendous weight off of us. Second reason why the river is there is, although it looks like an obstacle to you and I, it may actually be the very thing that allows you to cross. I mean, only at flood stage can the banks of the Jordan collapse and the river be dammed up. This is what our God does. He takes the thing that you think is an obstacle and turns it into the very thing that lets you get there. All the way to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ was intended to be the end of the message of Jesus and the end of that guy's ministry. And yet, God turned it into the very thing that set all of us free and made him king of the universe. He takes obstacles and turns, us, turns them into the very thing that gets us there. So you have a great promised land ahead of you. And God is going ahead of you. So be close to him. And get up and follow him, even without all the plans. He'll have some instructions on the way. And wait out a little bit and get your feet wet. And wait on him and see what he'll do. This is why Jesus says in uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for the church. Thank you for the church that teaches us how to be close to you to pray to you, to sit in silence waiting for you. Lord, we know that you have given us great promises. I pray for everyone here today looking at an obstacle that will let you go first. We'll wait for your instructions that we'll wade in and get our feet a little wet. And we'll wait with watchful eyes to see what you will do. We thank you, Father, that you are going before us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.